you're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Another uh, early morning uh, recording. I stayed up too late watching, uh, catching up on my Marvel movies. So I was watching uh, Shang-Chi. Yeah. And I know we had this discussion right before we we hit a uh, record, but uh, I know we both laughed at that early part of the movie where his disguise or his uh, alias was Sean and he was Sean the valet. Yeah. It's um, a fun one. Is uh, Aquafina's his sort of, she, she's not quite his girlfriend, but she's his, uh, his uh, partner in crime or not really crime, but uh, being valets and parking cars. And then uh, he's like, he's like, I have to tell you a secret. My name's not really Sean. It's Sean. And she's like, you went undercover, you went into hiding, and you changed your name from Sean to Sean. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, I, I enjoyed that part of the movie. I, it's been like probably a year or so since I've seen it, but I also enjoyed the fact that like my name is Sean, and uh, after college, like after we graduated from the University of Maryland, like I, I didn't find like you know like a professional job, so I started valeting in downtown Annapolis, and I, I worked for this valet company and i kind of got promoted in in that company a couple times but like i was sean the valet pretty much for like two to three years so i I always i always that always resonated with me that he was sean the valet too but sean the valet who fights the forces of darkness yeah yeah and i've always i always uh incorrectly thought that i would be uh more like chris hemsworth as thor but like obviously that's a dream and i base that on absolutely nothing so i guess shang ji is the is the Marvel uh, Avenger that I, I resonate with the most. Yeah, that's your, uh, you, that you resonates took, a Facebook, with me. Uh, took a Facebook personality test. That's what you come up with. Yes. Yes. Oh, your name is Sean and you're a valet. Okay. Well, that's easy. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. So I figured out where I, where it was. I left off was basically just with the pandemic. Uh, so 2021, the, uh, the black widow and then, uh, this one now. So awesome. Yeah. We, uh, we watched Wakanda forever, uh, a couple weeks or like last week. And I think I also mentioned that we've rewatched Thor love and thunder uh, last time we recorded. Um, yeah. I think we are caught up. Actually, we haven't seen Ant-Man yet. The new Ant-Man. I heard it's oh, yeah. got mixed reviews, but uh, I've always I liked Paul I, Rudd. So yeah, I think I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I don't remember it. Well, I might've seen it not on the big screen, but just uh, on a TV, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so no, also, Sean. yeah, go oh, ahead. I was gonna say, how, how are you? How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, Beth and I, uh, well, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I went to the doctors for a physical for the first time in a while, and they they referred me to get my X-ray done because I've been having like those lower back issues. They oh, think yeah. it's the muscle, but like my doctor agrees with my chiropractor that my lower back is very tight, and they're both like, "Are you stressed out?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I have I have to like kind of like monitor my blood pressure. It's not like horrible, but it's like something I just got to maintain a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's getting to be a grown up. Yeah, better to yeah. take care of yourself now rather than ten years from now. Yes, yes. Um, so thirty, th- I'm turning thirty six next month, yeah. so that's going to be fun. Um, yeah. And outside of that, Beth and I, uh, we went to Le Diplomat, which is a semi famous restaurant in DC. Um, it's a French restaurant, and it sounded fancy. Yeah, yeah. If anybody lives near DC and they want probably the best burger in DC, go to Le Diplomat. Um, Beth got the burger; it was delicious, and I got the steak, which was also delicious. So we did that for a Valentine's Day dinner. But this seems like a place where you want to get a steak, and yeah, they do it right. Yeah. And outside of that, I also just, since you've been talking about um, revelations in the Holy Bible, and like I've heard some horrifying things from Leviticus, which has some very harsh things to say about the homosexual community. Um, I'm ordering the book and I'm just going to read the Bible. And, you know, I really want to see what this is all about because my family is Old Testament? Yeah. I believe so. Uh, but like yeah. the, I know the New Testament says some pretty horrible things too so i don't know i'm gonna yeah. read the holy bible and i'm gonna try to go into it with an open mind and just see what it has to say most of the most of the horrible stuff in the new testament i think is from paul and mostly paul's just given his opinions which he says is divinely inspired so that's <laughs> that's how i take it yeah well i was watching commentary on the bible well and i know you mentioned that somebody uh whoever wrote revelations it sounded like it was written as if the person was on an acid trip i i like yeah. read somewhere that the guy was actually banished and he like was in su- like isolation. So he decided to write revelations. Oh yeah. Like Ooh. there. That actually almost sounds like the, uh, the Marquis de Sade, the story of uh, how he wrote his stories, but I'm not going to, that's where the word uh, sadist comes from. I'm not going to go into that too much. <laughs> okay. Awesome. But how, how about you, David, how are you outside of catching up on Marvel? Oh, I'm good. I've, uh, yeah, busy with work. So I haven't had as much time writing for a uh, walled garden or for here, but on Friday I got to check out the uh, meetup, well, there's a group that uh, 
Josh Bertolotti does from the uh, In Search of Wisdom podcast. He does a little book club there. Just uh, this this month, he's looking at uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And then uh, Sharon LaBelle had a great talk as well on the topic of meaning. So that was a really nice kind of Friday. I had the time to uh, get back, getting back into the walled garden. Yeah, so that's, that's been my side projects besides movies. Basically. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It sounds like you are busy with work. I mean, and you're in you're in private practice. So, like, is a uh, business booming right now, or it's it's private practice? And actually, now that I'm uh, took a job that's more of like with an agency, so we run groups now. So the groups are it keeps me very busy. That uh, do that oh. three three days a week, and, uh, and then my Saturday is packed. So Friday is off, and then Saturday is packed. Yeah, and that's why we always find ourselves now having to record on a weekend's morning. Yeah, um, when my hair looks like shit. Luckily, it's not a. It's not a. Well, we. I guess we do. We used to post some stuff on YouTube, but maybe not this one. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if we'll we. See. We'll see if we get back on YouTube. I actually really want the fireside chat on there. I'm gonna have to think about that. Yeah. No. We we need to we need to get back into our social media stuff. I've been lacking on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and we're actually getting a lot of people to reach out to us on Instagram now, which I appreciate. But we'll. Uh, We'll get. To, we'll talk about that in a later episode. I think later episode we'll get to our uh, our corrections from uh, from Twitter. <laughs> so, anyways, John, what are we what are we talking about today? Yes. So this week we are continuing our series on Ragnarok, the death of the gods in everything. Last week we discussed the battle itself, which took place on Vigrid Fields. In that battle, the god Tyr and the wolf Garm will be each other's deaths, as will Thor and Jormungandr, the world serpent. Loki and Hemdall will also kill each other. The Vanir god Frey will be slain by the fire giant's Surtur as he is fighting without his sword, which we previously discussed in a former episode, gave to his servant Skirner. And then Odin is going to be killed by the wolf Fenrir, only to be avenged by his son, Vidar, who apparently has magic shoes. I want to double check. Does he have two magic shoes or does he just have one giant shoe? I would imagine he's, uh, he's not just going to wear one shoe. Maybe he's got two. I thought that was part of the image, but I might have it wrong. Well, people can tweet at us if they know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel it'd be if you have like two different pairs of shoes that you're wearing. I feel like that's going to be just like physically feeling. That's going to be yeah. weird. Like you're going to be throw like your off back balance. Out, yeah. It's going to throw your back yeah. out of alignment. I, so I'm just going to say it. Vidar has two magic shoes: one for his left foot and one for his right foot. So anyway, at the end of the battle, Surtur, again the Slayer Frey, who did not get killed has fire rained down onto the world, leading to its destruction. So at this point, like Midgard's destroyed and like all of the Einarhar that uh, fought with Odin, they're all dead as well. Um, so everything is fucked. However, there is a rebirth, which we are going to be discussing in this episode. And that's, I, mean, I, th- I remember we said uh, in earlier episodes, one of the controversies like, well, is the rebirth really traditional, you know, Norse perspective on things, right? Or was that Snorri with the Christians wanting to say like, Oh, just like Jesus had a rebirth, you know, after, after Ragnarok, there was a rebirth. But if I, if I did my homework a little better, I, I do, I'm, I'm aware, but I can't give you the, the sources or citations. There's a lot of cultures, the idea of rebirth. That's the whole kind of natural cycle. So I think it fits perfectly with this idea that that's uh, an old Norse idea, not a, a Christian adaptation. Yeah. And also you have to wonder if like Snorri put that, like this rebirth in here in Gilfogany because he wants there to be, he wants like it to be read as, Oh, well, then there's like a new world that's being born, and this born is going to be, you know, one created to uh, match the one true God, his Christian God. Um, and, and then that's the idea, too, right? Is, is Ragnarok a thing that we're waiting on and it's going to happen one day? Or, is or did it, it happen? Yeah. No, that's why, the old, that's why the old Norse gods are dead, and now we're moving on to Christianity, is Snorri's perspective, certainly. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this like way when we first got started on the podcast, but there's this. Uh, Shit, I forgot the actor's name or the writer's name, but there's there's this book um, called the. It's like a part of the Viking verse series, which it's this like futuristic and like modern day world where the Norse gods, right, like were like one like Christianity did not like wipe out like old Norse paganism, and it happened yeah. because Odin was just this like weird guy, like this lunatic in modern times, and he went back in time to like change alter the course of the world. <laughs> And so, yeah. like, then, yeah. you know, the modern day world is, like, worshipping these gods. And, like, the explore, the exploration of the world is, like, or the universe is, like, looking for Yggdrasil. Yeah. But the reason why I brought this up is because, like, that writer, shit, I forgot his, like, let, actually, let me look it up really quick. The book is called The All-Father Paradox. He, all right, his name is Ian Stuart Sharp. So he he did this, like, a, one interview where he was like, yeah, you can argue that Christianity 
Christianity was Ragnarok. Yeah. And no, so I like, think, I uh... think that's, that's interesting because like, you know, and I think I also kind of like made another joke that maybe like Christ is actually Loki. Um, oh, yeah. Him and like trying to bring on Ragnarok. Yeah. All kinds of uh, interpretations that I, uh, yeah, that I found talking about the, the serpent and, uh, and Satan and Loki and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the only other note I'll make here is that, and I know I mentioned, I've previously mentioned the Elder Scrolls video game series. So in Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, which came out like 10, 12 years ago now, um, there's the whole thing was that this like dragon named Alduin, who's called the World Eater, his, like, he's like destined to end, to destroy the world. And then it's going to be re- recreated as like a new universe type of thing. So like a new, like time starts over, everything starts over. And, um, what he's doing there is he's going to do, he's going to end that current Kalpa, which is a time cycle. Yeah. Um, and it's like, there's this other dragon in, in the game who like talks with the main character and the main character is trying to stop Alduin, but this dragon is talking to him and saying, well, if you continue this world, you're preventing another one from being created. Yeah. Um, so like, I thought that was like very, I thought that was very interesting. And maybe that's like a very fuzzy, loose connection I'm trying to make here, but like, you it, see it really this ties back in to our early ideas with uh, Odin, right? Odin does not want Ragnarok to happen, but that maybe it needs to happen. And then that's, yeah, not easy yeah, for Odin. And, and we'll see here, there's going to be like a new guard of like gods and humans. And if Ragnarok yeah. didn't happen, if Odin found a way to stop it, like then this new world is going to die. And yeah. I think that's gets into like the morbidness of this. Like maybe w- like this generation will need to die so the next one can make this world better type of thing. But right. it's always, uh, well, I think it's always true. <laughs> that, yes. uh, I'm trying to remember you, if you know this, we'll cut it out if it doesn't make any sense, but were there ideas that like there had been volcanic eruptions or things, you know, hundreds of years before this was written that were sort of like some of the predictions or prophecies of uh, Ragnarok? I'll have to look into that. And I think um, there's a, like, I know Matthias Nordvig, he, Dr. Matthias Nordvig, he has previously <laughs> spoken about like this uh, volcanic eruption that I think took place in like the 500s. And I think, Shit, I forgot the name of this author too. In the book, The Children of Ash and Elm, I think he goes into it. Yeah. Where like maybe this like volcano is like what they imagines like Ragnarok to be, but like maybe they at some point imagine that that was like the up the prelude to the end of the world. Because I think yeah. even in the Bible, like you read about like these disasters that happen that foretell foretell the end of the world. So right. maybe that's where you're going with this. Oh yeah. Well, and that the uh, just the idea of prophecy. Because to a lot of modern people, you know, scientifically minded people, prophecy just sounds silly, just like going to a uh, psychic or something. But it actually, I think, very closely ties into Carl Jung's idea of synchronicity, right? So that idea, you know, in the year 500, there was a volcano eruption. And now in the year 1000, Christianity supplants the old God's religion. And why does that have anything to do with anything? Except if in your mind, you make that connection as being meaningful. And that that's, you know, that's the story you can tell yourself, right? So it goes back to an idea we talked about in the early episodes I never really came back to was like, you know, mythological reasoning. And, you know, they didn't have the kind of logic and science understanding, you know, in the Viking cultures, even, even up to, I think the year uh, 1000, but you know, with Christianity, it brought some of those kind of more modern ideas, but uh, that, you know, it's sort of the question, right? Does this, you know, the story know he's like, Oh, this is a good story to explain how Christianity is replacing the old religion. Or is it all unconscious, right? It's all just happening in the background. And we're like, that's probably, you know, it was certainly happening, as you said, in the uh, the time, uh, as the times are changing, the time eras are shifting. Yeah, not definitely. Cool. So what do you think? Should we get started? Yeah, let's go. Cool. Um, so again, this is um, going to be, this episode, we're going to be talking about chapter 52 and 53 of Gilfogganine from Snorri's Prosetta. So Ragnarok, which we've discussed in the previous two episodes, was chapter 51. So we're going to be kind of continuing this timeline with chapter 52 and 53. So to begin chapter 52, and again, the end of chapter 51, it just says, like, Sir destroyed the world. And then it has a few um, stanzas that Snorri pulled from the Poetic Edda. And that, that sort of ends the chapter. So chapter 52 starts with Gangleri, again, King Gilfi, asking the holy trio of high, just as high, and third, what happens after heaven and earth are burned? He makes note that all of the gods are dead, along with the Einarhar and all of mankind's. But he also notes that the trio mentions previously that every person would have a place to live throughout the ages. 
So third mentions that there is a place called Gimli, and there's like a reference to Tolkien with the dwarf Gimli, I think, in heaven. So this place Gimli is in heaven, which you can imagine is the Christian heaven. And plenty of food and drink will be found in a place called Bremir, which stands at a place called Okarnir, which means never cold. There is also a splendid hall on Nidafjall, which means dark mountains, which is made of red gold and is called Sindri, which is sparklings. And then there's um, a stanza from Voluspa, which Snorri calls Sibyl's Prophecy. Um, so I'm actually going to read the, uh, just to keep things consistent, I'm going to read the stanza from Jackson Crawford's translation of the Poetic Edda, the poem Voluspa. There stands north of the dark valleys a golden hall of the kin of Sindri, which we previously have discussed is like a family of dwarves. And another stands at Ulkarnir, the beer hall of a giant named Brimir. So real quick, the Prosetta says that Brimir is a place, and the Poetic Edda says Brimir is a giant um, who runs this hall. Yeah. I got that one wrong, but have we heard of Brimir before? Or does it just sound like a lot of the different giant names? It's Well, it sounds like uh, Brimir in Norse mythology. Yep, this is me Googling in real time. <laughs> Um, so here we go. In Norse mythology, Brimir is possibly another name for the Jotun Ymir, and also the name of the halls for the souls of the virtuous following the end time conflict at Ragnarok. Yeah. So but, I'm wondering where the connection is with Ymir. Right. And just that, yeah, there's a few letters in there that look similar, but I, yeah, that's a curious one. Yeah. We'll but, have to, we'll have to try to unpack that um, at a later episode. Like that's, that's news to me. It seems like it's shifting, and this is kind of me stealing your next uh, bullet point. But that the it went from just the just Odin's warriors that get to kind of drink mead forever, and everybody else goes to hell, right? And now yeah. it's anybody who's good, anybody who's you know most most people maybe can. Yeah. yeah, and then there's another note here that yeah, like the good and virtue. Yeah, as you mentioned, like the vir- good and virtuous men will live, which is kind of like alluding that this is like heaven pretty much or the Christian yeah. version of heaven and not necessarily like the Norse version of Asgard or Valhalla. There's also an implication there that you don't need to keep uh, raiding the people to the South and getting yourself killed to go to Valhalla. Just, just be good and virtuous. Yes. Just be a good person, you know, live and not yeah. live. Um, then it says on Nastrandir, which means corpse strands, there is a foul hall, which has doors that look toward the North the hall is covered in the spines of snakes. The heads of the snakes actually turn inwards, like into the hall itself, and spit venom on the inhabitants. And so this is clearly some form of the Christian hell, yeah. where the bad people go and just get tormented for all of eternity. It's interesting, these things that are kind of like cycles, because I'm going to talk about the Book of Revelations a little bit again. But that, at first, it's Loki being tortured with the venom of the snake. Yeah, and then this thing shifts into where now it's a hall where everybody who's you know been a little bit too uh, too much the trickster, too much uh, of, of problem, is not going to get to enjoy that uh, experience Loki had. Yeah, no, definitely. I didn't. I actually didn't even think about that connection about like Loki being uh, tortured by the snake, um, but it makes sense. So then there's a quick quote from again Siebel's prophecy according to Snorri but I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Voluspa stanza 37 and 38 from Crawford's translation I saw a hall that stood far oh and again this is the um, this is the dead Cirrus speaking to Odin I saw a hall that stood far from the sun on the beach of corpses the doors face north drops of poison fall through the roof its walls encircled by serpents I saw oathbreakers waiting in those thick streams, and murderers, and those who seduce others' lovers. There, Nithok sucks the corpse, the corpses of the fallen, snaps them in his jaws. Have you learned enough yet, Allfather? So you see, like the bad people, murderers, people that steal, seduce others' lovers, they all go to this place in this hall. I think and those actually, things that go yeah, against the uh, that go against the Havamal virtues pretty well. I'm trying to think, are they somewhat more, you know, modern or Christian, uh, conventional morals or I think, but I think it kind of fits with the half a mile. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, I mean, I guess murderers, like, I don't know, maybe in the half mile murders, you can make the case, like if somebody murders your brother, then you can murder them. Um, but maybe at that point, it's not really considered murder. Um, and that you you don't kill somebody who's a guest in your home and some of those things, but yeah. Yeah. And, but I think, I think we're both like kind of making a lot of assumptions here. Um, yeah. 
but like yeah like it's like it's i guess up to interpretation just like everything that we discuss is um in the last part of chapter 52 and i think maybe this is where the dead Sirius was mentioning nithog who is the the serpent that climbs up and down like the world tree it says the worst place is fergalmir which is where nithog is um so there might be like actually more places than just this one hall um where the snakes uh... like spit into the yeah. The many layers of hell sounds like Dante's Inferno. There's a great podcast. I think it's with Rupert Sheldrake and I'm blanking on the other guy's name, but they do a podcast talking about uh, not just Dante's Inferno, but also Dante's uh, Paradiso, which is one you don't hear about as often. But uh, Dante had a little more, more to say than just the uh, the layers of hell. Yeah. I'm doing a little uh, doing a little Googling in the background. I'm now reminding myself who uh, Emir is. And isn't it that the, the world is made out of the pieces of Emir? Yes. So that um, that Brimir could be a giant who has fallen and now a place that we can live on to. So sorry, he's not wrong. Maybe there we go. <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> um, so anyway, that ends chapter fifty-two. So chapter fifty-two is very brief. It kind of just says like, yes, after this ends, like the the universe does continue in some capacity, and like it kind of is very similar to the Christian heaven and the Christian hell. Um, but we don't know if like that's what Snorri was trying to say. But like I think there's definitely some Christian in like his Christian lens is like lens, playing yeah. a part in what he he actually wrote. So then with chapter fifty three, Gangleri then asked the Holy Trio about the gods themselves. High responds that the earth will shoot up from the sea, and will be green and beautiful. And I made a note here: is this supposed to represent Thor's mother, or is it just like saying that the earth is going to live on? Yeah, and I think that's that part of do we keep some of the old, a little bit of the old pagan vibe, right? Or is it just now, oh, God created the earth and it's this thing we can exploit, right? Or does it have that that feeling to it, right? Which is, uh, I think for the Norse, it still had a bit of that feeling for a while. You know, they even even once they converted to Christianity, they still had a bit of interest in their spirits and uh, probably earth yeah. worship as well. Yeah, for sure. But my other little thought is, I'm no, you know, is, it's interesting what the Christians do. Right, they narrow down things to good and bad, black and white. Right, where before we had nine realms, now it's like now we just have the good place and the bad place. Right, <laughs> but that's that's uh, it, it's nice to oversimplify things, but there's something really interesting about exploring those nine realms and like you know, we can't really tell what they are, but they're all these different ways of being. Right, that as a human being, you're very complicated rather than just good or bad. Well, I like that. I like that a lot actually, because in like one thing that we've discussed, and maybe this can be said like of all. Uh, like polytheistic religions, like where there's multiple, multiple gods and each one of them has like maybe their own ambitions, but like, they're all like, none of them are purely good and purely evil. And like, I think that's a better way to look at the world. If you're assuming that the gods like are some personification of the forces of nature, like none of us are purely good, purely evil. But then if you like, and this, and this is my, uh, from what I've seen from the Christian religion, which I grew up in and I can still see like with my family um, these days, like they do think that there's a force of good that's affecting everything on this world. And they believe that there's a force of evil that's trying to affect everything on this world. So there's like this consistent pull between these two forces when I think that's a very, I think that can be a very dangerous way to look at things. If you think that you're like on one side or the other, like if you think you're good, then you're the forces um, of good and everybody else is the forces. Everyone who doesn't agree with you is the forces of evil, right? Yes. And then, you know, we have idiots like me, like look reading it into too much of it on social media, which I need to stop doing. So, but like, yeah, I think um, social media. Yeah, definitely. Cause I think it shows the best and worst of humanity. So should I, should I do a little psychological interpretation while it's on the top of my head? It's definitely one I yeah. didn't prepare, but it's, you know, as I've been on a few podcasts is actually two people now have told me, you know, I'm, I'm talking about things my, my philosophy, my interest in mythology. And they're like, have you ever read James Hillman? And I'm like, I haven't, but that you're the second person to tell me that, but that apparently I sound a lot like him. And so that he believes in this idea, he calls it psychological pantheism. And so he, he's one that uh, developed what's called archetypal psychology. He sort of took Jung's ideas and he really amplified and emphasized uh, certain ones. But this idea, you know, because at first most people think they're good. They're like, I'm a good person. I I never hurt other people. I don't do anything bad. I'm I'm a good person. And then when you start to learn about recognize the shadow, recognize your unconscious, it's like, oh, I didn't intend that. But do I maybe do harmful things here and there? Or you know, that you have a great potential for evil, even if I try to catch it, right? That and then the idea of being of two minds, right? That I do I know what I want, or 
Now, sometimes I want this and sometimes I want that. And, I, and I'm of two minds. But then the, the psychological pantheism would be, maybe I'm not just of two minds. I'm not just good or bad impulses. That's kind of like Freud. You know, either it's the id and you're uh, lusting after everything or you're the superego and you're good and responsible. But a psychological pantheism is, I'm not just of two minds. Maybe I'm of eight, eight or ten minds, right? I'm of the mind of uh, the god of war sometimes. And I'm of the mind of you know uh, the lover archetype sometimes. Or right? the trickster, yeah. Yeah. And that I think it's, it's very useful. It's, it's actually a, a modality of therapy I've just started to learn a little bit about that's, that's inspired by Jung called uh, internal family systems. And it's sort of this idea that, you know, you have your inner child and you have your inner mother and you have your inner father and you have all these things and you're trying to figure out how to be one coherent person rather than kind of almost like split personalities, right? But mostly they're unconscious for most people is the uh, argument there. So I think it goes back just as you were saying, right, all the harms we see in society. What about all the harms in your own head to be just <laughs> good or bad, right? Shamed or uh, I'm perfect and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I, I have many thoughts. I have like many thoughts on what we've discussed. Like, and maybe it's like a little too topical and I don't want to get too off uh, topic, but like, I don't know. Like I was just kind of going back to like, if somebody believes that they are a good person, as you mentioned, let's say, let's say you have a Christian and there's a lot, like, I, I think a lot of what I am today is based on my upbringing as a Christian. And I think a lot of it is very good. Um, but you know, like if you look at the Holy Bible and say like, well, this is good. And this is what, this is the outline to be good. And because of this, like, I'm supposed to think a certain way about like homosexuals. And like, because of that, you're kind of just like, you, you, you kind of like, really can't say that I'm being a good person now because this good, this thing that I think is good is telling me to act this certain way or to have this like opinion about people just based on their sexual orientation. Um, and so like, I think that's where like this whole, everything is good or everything is evil can be quite dangerous. But then again, if we understand that the world is gray and we understand that there's many different things going on in every human's head, like, which can be interpreted as like multiple gods, like, like let's say hypothetically i need to be loki for one for a second and like i'm having a bad day at work and like i need to take a sledgehammer and put it through a wall and then i feel better but then yeah. like that's causing chaos and like maybe that's, I, much more I, thor. that's much more being thor for a day oh yeah i guess yeah sledgehammer <laughs> yeah all right so yeah i don't know yeah i guess that would be thor like i need a thor smash like that that can be bad too but like i think it's just funny because like it all kind of regardless of your religion or lack thereof or like regardless of what type of person you think you are, like we all kind of fall prey or fall victim to the same impulses and inclinations. I don't know. Did I miss the mark there, David? No, that we always say we don't want to get into politics, but then we do anyway. So that is the idea, right? Okay. Christianity says homosexuality is a sin, but doesn't the Bible also say that we're all sinners? So when these people are, you know, high and mighty and they, you know, excommunicate their child right out of their family, it's like, 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 you know, you don't have any sins. You don't have your, uh, you know, yeah, you, glass, you can't cast glass houses. Shouldn't throw, yeah. Men in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Right. That, well, no, no. I'm saying like, you can't like throw the first stone and say you're a sinner. So we got to stone you to death. Cause like, right. yeah. So like, that's, that's where it's like, it's very interesting to me, but like, again, I think it's up to others interpretation of it, you know? And the, and then some of the things we're saying people could take as, Oh, you know, David, are you saying people should be allowed to, to be low key and do dark and evil things? And it's like, no, it's, the idea that you're not a good person, you're just a person, right? And then that you do have to be responsible for yourself and for mm-hmm. all the things you do. It's that part of don't be, don't be blind to yourself. And yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you're uh, the, uh, the Marvel version of Thor. I don't know if he gets angry too often and puts a hammer through a wall, but uh, the old Norse, you know, the, the mythological version of Thor we're reading, he's like, I haven't eaten for three hours. I'm punching holes in walls. And that's like, yeah, that's what Thor does. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, in the first Avengers movie, he tries to kill Captain America yeah. And like all, like all, all uh, Steve, uh, all Chris Evans, Steve Rogers said to Thor was, "Hey, put the hammer down. You want me to put it down?" And then he literally yeah. tries to kill Captain America, but luckily he's right. got that shield. So, and that's it, he really Thor has that that arc where he becomes a little more, uh, yeah, it's meditating, mature, everybody meditate. mature and civilized, and yeah, all of that. Anyway, anyway let's, we're not a tangent. Let's try to get back to where, where we left off. No, I see where we are. So like at this point, the earth shoots up out of the sea and it's going to be green and beautiful. Um, I don't know if that's also supposed to like represent uh, like the Garden of Eden or something, but then you find out that Vidar and Valley will survive. Again, Vidar was not killed in the battle, or you can make the case that maybe he was supposed to, and he somehow got out of um, Surtur burning the entire world. But um, Odin's sons, Vidar and Valley, survive. 
they will inhabit the hall Edaval, which is where Asgard was before Ragnarok. You also find out that Thor's sons, Modi and Magni, will be there as well with Mjolnir, so the hammer survives. And then this is interesting. Balder and Hod will then arrive from Hell. They will walk and talk about Jormungandr and Fenrir and like all of the past things that happened. They also find these plane pieces, which the Aesir have owned. So like I guess the Aesir played like some version of chess. And in while Balder and Hod are reminis- walking in this new place, they are talking about like things that were. They're probably talking about the fact that Hod killed Balder, um, but maybe they they forgave him or he forgave him. And then they find like these chess pieces that kind of like help them reminds the past as well. That part that Balder survives, right? And Odin was so worried about all of this, right? He's like, oh, Balder can't go to the underworld. This is this is awful. But maybe that's part of why he survives Ragnarok, right? Because he was mm-hmm. maybe he was either protected or somehow hiding out in hell. That's really something to kind of sit with, right? I don't I don't really know what it means, but that's one of my when I realize that part, right? It's one of my favorite things. And definitely that idea, right? The Balder is, you know, he's the the good, the golden shining sun, right? That he's much like a Christ figure. But he's oh, not yeah. the most important figure, right? He's just he's one of the one of the many, right? And uh Yeah, he's I mean he's resurrected from the dead. Like he's obviously yeah. playing some form of uh you know what Christ did. Yeah. Um, you know, rising after three days. So I thought that I thought that was very very interesting. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Um like the beautiful boulder is able to like live the life that maybe he was supposed to. And maybe he was maybe him dying. Wasn't like destroying like his role. And it sounds like it wasn't the case because he came back from death and he needs to be a part of this like better world that's being created. It was something um, he needed, something he needed to do. Yeah. And then it's also very similar with uh, Dionysus that he gets, you know, eaten by giants and brought back to life and goes to the underworld and comes back again, or maybe even multiple times. Also, the, yeah, the Viking chess, I think it's called, let me see if I can say it, Hinefatful. Uh, <laughs> I see it in your notes. I wasn't even going to try it. That, uh, that you can find the rules and you can buy a Viking chess set if you want to learn how to play Viking chess. So it's something I got to do sometime in my life. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll, that can be on our YouTube video yeah. when we start doing that again. So anyway, yes, but this, like, I'm just kind of thinking now, like, kind of like the Elder Scrolls Five, like, I know, like, if you, if you beat the game, you're kind of preventing this new world from being created. And you're like looked at as the good person, but you're kind of like in this sense, like looked at as the bad person. You're like not looked at as the hero. You're preventing this world from being created. And so you can also look at this and saying like Loki is the reason why this new better world is created. So like he may be the god of like chaos or the agent of fate, but like it's almost it's good in this sense. Um, Like Baldur's back, the sons of like Odin and Thor are back and they have this like beautiful world to live in. But anyway, Gilfagadine continues. It says, At Hodmimir's wood, two people have survived Surt's fire. Um, Lif, which means life, and Leaf Thrasser, which means life yearner, will consume the morning dew for their nourishment. Their descendants will inhabit the earth. So you see that humanity does survive, and not unlike Ask and Emla, when the old world was created, Lif and Lef Thrasser are going to be the first two humans in this one. Oh, I didn't get that connection with uh, Ask and Embla, but that's great. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. And then um, there's a stand, there's a, a little quote from uh, Vathruthnismal. Um, again, this is going to be Crawford's translation. It says, life impulsing with life. So instead of life yearner, uh, Crawford says his name is, translates to pulsing with life, will survive. They will hide in Hadmimir's forest. They will eat the morning dew and renew the human race. You also find out here, um, going back to Golfagonine, that the son turns out to have a daughter just as beautiful as her, and she will follow her mother's path. So the stars and like the sun and the moon were swallowed, you know, in the prelude to Ragnarok, but the sun had a daughter that survived and she becomes the new sun. Um, so going back to Vathruthnismal, which Snorri quotes, and again, I'm going to make it confusing for everyone and go back to Crawford's translation. It says, Sansa 47 says, the son will have a daughter before Fenrir eats her, and that young son will travel on her mother's path when all of the gods have died. And I made a note here about Sean being an idiot because Fenrir was obviously also the wolf who chased after the son. But um, I know in Gilfagami, it also says Fenrir and Garm are two different people. So that means yeah. Fenrir and Managar might be two different people as, or wolves as well. So. Right. I think, I think that's the, the, yeah, the, the don't think about it too much. And like I said, the story says they need to be in two different places at once. So it can't be a Fenrir. Who was it? <laughs> yeah. No, the, yeah. 
didn't all all necessarily happen at the same time, that I was noting that part that the sun is female, that different mythologies will have this differently. I think a lot of, you know, the the culture, especially that comes from the Greeks and Romans is very much, you know, Apollo, the sun god, and uh, he has the the chariot that goes, which a lot like Thor and his chariot making thunder, but Apollo has the chariot that uh, goes across the... uh, Oh, now I'm actually trying to re- remember if there's another sun god besides Apollo, but I'm, I'm blanking on that. Ra, right. I don't know. Ra's Are you talking Egyptians. about Ra's the Egyptians? Yeah. Where I think he, I think he is the sun rather than just one who like rides rides the sun on a chariot across the sky. But um, but there's a lot of cultures that do have the sun as female, which again, yeah, if you're used to the sun being male, it might sound very strange. But one way to think of, and then that the moon is male, right? So that the sun is female, the moon is male. It, it's an odd idea, but the way to think of it is like if the night is female then the moon is her partner, right? Which would then be male. And then if in the blue sky, if that's, you know, uh, Zeus or Odin and the sky father, then the sun would be their partner. Something like that, maybe. Not actually in Norse mythology, but in some maybe older older mythologies. Um, There's something else that came up for me there. Let me try to think. Talking about Fenrir. Just that there is a lot of, really feels kind of like more feminine energy in the second part. As they're talking about the, the dew and the plants growing, right? Kind of like the earth nurturing, all of these things. That idea that that part that then leads to some rebirth after all of Odin and the guys and their swords and all of this, right? Chaos that we had last week. There's there's something more, very much more feminine feeling that comes about. And it's like, I don't know, maybe if they're consuming the morning dew, maybe this new world is vegan or something, but maybe, maybe they, that, they right? don't. Like, I guess if you take the idea of a traditional hunter or something, maybe that's more of a masculine role traditionally. Like, maybe that's where, uh, I don't know, maybe <laughs> we don't know if there's actually animals here, which I'd imagine there is. But anyway, that a stupid addition by me just now. But anyway, the holy trio. I'll, I'll take I'll take yours. Is, is, what's, what's good in your uh, your addition there is that they just leave it. They just leave it here, almost like a new Garden of Eden. And they don't explain what, you know, does a society do. and structure rebuild after this, right? It's just this thing where all of your needs are met. You're fed on the morning dew, right? But then, yeah, what does the human race build after that? What is that uh, more masculine energy? Yeah, no, and that's forward? actually, yeah. yeah, and that's actually a really good segue to the end of um, this chapter. Because at this point, it says the holy trio, high, justice, high, and third, then informs Gangleri that they really had no more questions to answer because they didn't know the future beyond this point. So like they're, they're kind of like, you know, just kind of say, well, let's fucking see what happens and let's hope it turns out well. Um, so at this point, like the chapter ends and um, then there's like two more very short chapters in Gilfaganine. So chapter 54 and 55. And I think this would be a good short for us to do at some point. Um, just have like a very quick episode on your thoughts on, these last two chapters on Gilfaganine. I know I did one one episode on the chapter breakdown, but pretty much to sum it up on Gangleri, who was also King Gilfi, at this point, like the hall that he's in where he's talking to High, just as High in third, d- disappears. Um, and so he, like, it, like you can t- kind of like take it, this as Gilfaganine being also a hallucination of King Gilfi. Yeah where he learned about the Norse gods and he learned about the creation myth. Um, he learned about Ragnarok and some other stories in between. And he learned about like all the gods and everything. And he then just goes home to his court. And then he tells his people about these stories as well. So it's, it's very interesting. Like we, we should uh, definitely do something on that. Um, but it's, it's very kind of cool. Like he learns about these gods, goes and tells his people about the old gods type of thing. Yeah. And it's interesting that just as you're saying that, there's a little bit that like reminds me of uh, Abraham from the Bible, and that idea that the the king also needs to get these visions from the gods back in the old uh, the old cultures or the you know very long ago the, the old traditions. But then over time, it was that you know the king was kind of just the ruler, a little more secular, and maybe he would have priests and other figures to get, kind of give him uh, well, revelations or prophecies or things like that. But the uh, the ancient kings were supposed to be you know. They could do it all. They were the warrior and the uh, magician, right? Things like that. That's yeah, fun. definitely. Let me see. Yeah, David, what are your thoughts? I know you. It looks like you have a lot more notes on Revelations here. I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna go into Book of Revelations a little bit, and I think we'll find some some connections back here. My mind is just going back. I'm sure I'm overthinking things, but I, I feel bad as we were talking about with you know the the Christians saying homosexuality is a sin. But the, really, my point there, right, is that the evil that can be done by people who are telling themselves they're doing good. 
right? That they're, they can be doing a lot of evil. They're, you know, not being responsible for their own child, as I think of that one potential dynamic, right? They're, they're, they're also fighting this shift in culture, right? That now there's things, you know, with gender non-binary, right? And all kinds of things that just, you know, people mm-hmm. are all upset on social media and news. And it's like, it's not any of your business, man. Like, what do you just go deal with yourself, man? But that idea, right? Is it, is it things are shifting? And that's what, there's that judgment, right? Is it shifting for the better or it's just shifting? Don't worry about if it's for the better or the worst, right? It's just things will continually change and shift. And that idea of maybe allow it rather than you need to correct it, that, that you need to correct it, right? That's something you need to do versus, you know, the things can go to extremes and then they, they correct themselves. They, they rebalance, right? So the science things need to go extreme in one direction to come back in another. I'm still enjoying listening to the uh, Therapy for Guys podcast, and uh, Kike does a great job on there. I went on there and he interviewed me, but I'm enjoying listening to some of his old episodes that he recognized. He's like, you know, I'm doing a Therapy for Guys podcast, and I'm just trying to talk about, you know, supporting guys because often they don't seek out mental health. But so often yeah. it turns into, oh, you're doing therapy for guys. Are you an anti-feminist? And he's like, no, I'm really a feminist. <laughs> like, I, I always say that out loud so no one mis- mis- you know, interprets me. And that, and that idea, you know, that it's, it's not to say like that. Because you asked last week, right, is masculinity under attack? Uh, and I didn't really say it, but actually the, the idea from Robert Bly is that actually it's already dead. It died somewhere back before World War II because then men are no longer warriors. They're just, you know killed from a long distance with guns. They don't need to wrestle with each other, whether it's with swords or with, uh, you know, single shot muskets and bayonets, right? It's just this slaughter and this evil, right? That That's not what the warrior does, right? The warrior fights and, and struggles and defends others. It's not just this mow them all down, right? That's a, that's a darker version of the, the warrior or the soldier. Yeah. Um, well, no, and that's very, it's interesting you say that because like, if you, let's go back into like, like 2000 years ago to be what, maybe people today think is masculine, you would have to be like 250 pounds of muscle. Maybe you would have to like be able to kill your opponent in battle. You would have to be able to like hunt and, uh, you know, catch your prey and feed your family. And it's like, you, you probably ha- like are confident in doing so. Well, and also um, back then though, most, most people are starving. So very few are actually that, you know, 250 pounds of muscle, right? That's sort of like David and Goliath, right? There, there may be yeah. a couple of those guys on the battlefield and you're very intimidated by them. I guess but that's true. Yeah. More people are these scrawny guys who is like, let me see if I can hit them with a rock between the eyes. Right. Like that's, there, there are all these different ways of being right. And that, but the other thing besides just warfare is also the industrial revolution, right? That before that sons would watch their fathers do what, whatever it is that men do, they'd watch them doing it on the farm or at the, around the home or uh, in a trade and apprenticeship and things like that, that then when the men need to go off to work, they need to go into the city and the sons don't get to see what men do. And they're, you know, it's like, well, do I do what women do or do I just make my own mischief and get myself into trouble? Right. It's sort of what, what are you supposed to do? What do you look up to? You know, that's the, the, uh, I like that interpretation from Robert Bly that that's just makes a lot of sense, right? You don't spend, if boys don't spend time with men, they don't know what, what are men supposed to do? And they, you know, you can tell them, but to not do it hands-on, to not watch it and or to feel it kind of is different. Um, so that idea that, yeah, it's not the feminists attacking masculinity. It's that masculinity got killed a long time ago. And then it's this weak shadow version of it that then is that insecure masculinity trying to take power over things, patriarchy, and everybody doesn't like that. And then to think that masculinity is the enemy rather than this uh, perverted this version of it. of it. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think yeah. that's very true. Like you can you know, you, if like, I feel like if you take an idea like the two, the 2000 years ago, maybe not 250 pounds, but like this confident warrior yeah. who knows that he can provide for his family because he can kill animals. And like, if worse, if like somebody tries to steal his shit, he can kill them. Like maybe that was masculinity 2000 years ago, but today, like you can still have the confidence to be who you want to be. Like you could yeah. still like provide for your family and do a lot of good things and not judge others for being different. Um, yeah. And you can be like a hundred, pa- like you can be a dude, hundred pounds, eats vegan. Maybe he even wears a dress or something and you could still provide for your family in this confident way. Yeah. Like, and that, it that doesn't mean, is, as I was yeah. saying that idea of the, like the, the overcompensation or things, right. That cause it's not saying that we want to go back to that because that's, yeah. A lot of people died very early and there was all kinds of pain and suffering and tragedy when people had to fight each other with swords or clubs. Right. So it's not to say to go back to that, but it's that that was a, an overcorrection and the idea, well, didn't it, maybe it didn't last for 4,000 years, right? I mean, that's not, you know, it's not saying these are quick things, right? And then as, as things are moving towards this thing, you know, where life's easier now, right? And that's like, are people getting soft? Cause life's easier. And it's, you know, 
things are provided for, although not that things are that easy, right? We don't have universal health care uh, in the U.S. at least. Maybe maybe Europe has a little more of that, right? And it's just, is that a thing you need to fight and get all upset about? Or just, you know, it's where the world's going and you, and you watch and you figure out what do you need to do within that? Yeah. And I think like in today's world, it, it's so much smaller. And this is like where the internet is a great thing, but it's also horrible because you see like the best and worst, worst of humanity and you could see it in a split second. Whereas like a while ago, you could only see the, your neighbors. Um, and it's like, you're like, oh, they're nice people. Like I have a good idea of this world, but like the way technology is accelerating and just like the way like you have access to the entire world of knowledge, like right there, like that's very, that's very frightening for a lot of people like myself included even like, so I don't know. It's kind of like getting back to the old, the old primal ways is maybe the way some people like look at this. I want to read this thing that I was just reading in the, the I Ching actually just yesterday. So it's a very weird thing, uh, parallel, but it says that evil is not destructive to the good only, but inevitably destroys itself. Whatever it is that you think is evil, that it's going to destroy itself eventually. Yeah. I really like that idea. And there's, there's something about, well, can you prove that's true or right? I can't prove that's true but that that is something that's a confidence that makes it a little easier to accept a thing you really can't change, right? Do you fight and struggle and wrestle and, you know, make everybody miserable around you trying to change a thing that you, you can't change it. I mean, you're too small, but how do you live with it? Well, that evil will destroy itself, whatever it is you think evil is. Right. And, mm -hmm. it, and then it corrects back and it comes back towards, it's a it's sort of the necessary path. It's interesting, controversial ideas. Not, definitely not a Christian idea. That's from another <laughs> kind of more, uh, Oh, it's essentially an old uh, yeah, pantheist, I think, pagan uh, culture. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Book of Revelations. Let's get back, right, Sean? Got to read your Bible. Got to go buy. You know, I, I just I, did. It's coming. What, what I actually really want to, now, now maybe I need to buy a book and something that maybe interprets the book of Revelations, right? From somebody who's like a real, some kind of a scholar, but it really does depend what's their theoretical orientation, right? But um, I always like the Jungian's perspective, right? So yeah, what do the, what do the Jungians have to say on book of Revelations? I haven't read that yet. I'm making it up off the top of my head. But, and then talking about this, you know, um, the masculine and the feminine, there, there's a big idea in here that I had vaguely heard of before, but I didn't quite know what it meant. And it's, it's the horror of Babylon, right? And so like, well, that sounds anti-feminist as you can get. And what is it all about? It's this idea that, so there's, we, we did kind of a setup for the book of revelations that there's a uh, Christ come back, comes back and tells everybody they better be acting right. And if they don't, all of these things are going to happen and, and Satan and, and there's multiple figures. There's these beasts and, you know, winged demons and all these things coming out of the earth. And uh, it's a lot like, you know, in Ragnarok, right? It's Surtur with his ar army of the many and, and Hello and her army of, you know, the many dead. But that, that somewhere in there, there's a woman who shows up and then Christ is reborn of a woman. And she sort of just comes out of the forest or something. It's really hard to tell. And then later there's this corrupted evil woman who's the, what does it say? When, when the city of Babylon becomes too powerful and rules over men, they say there's this woman, but it's also it has a little bit of this feel like the way you call it, say like a ship is female or a city, you know, your, your hometown is it, you know, is it the fatherland or is it the motherland? Right. Things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that in this idea, I think of the, you know, especially when there's a monotheist, right. Masculine father, God, right. That tendency to make the feminine, the enemy, right. So even though it's, they're initially fighting against Satan. Then there's this, this female figure. I think she's riding on one of the beasts and things like this as a, some kind of symbol of, of evil, but also of rebirth. Right. And it's this complicated thing they can't figure out. So then there's that, this sort of like Balder is how I, I kind of picture it. But I think they say it might be like Christ for the third time coming back and that he has an, an iron scepter. Something about that. It's not a gold scepter. It's an iron scepter that he leads the, uh, the, the armies of men, basically, that are the ones that are remaining, that they haven't all been wiped out. I think there was a flood, and there's all kinds of things that are, you know, like, like the first thing didn't kill them all. Let's send another thing to kill them all, right? It's sort of yeah. like if the, 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 you know, the, the fire flowing over everything from Surtur kind of captures that. But uh, there's many different iterations of how we're going to wipe everybody out in the book of Revelations. And then there's, you know, the, the angels flying and the demons flying and all of them fighting. There's a dragon in hell. There's things in Jungian about whether the dragon is feminine as well. So it's this idea where Satan's masculine, but also kind of feminine. <laughs> these things that go back and forth. And, and Wait, what's the name of the dragon? <laughs> I don't think they give the name. Yeah. Um, it says there's an angel that binds Satan, the dragon to hell. This is from my notes on it. Um, but after 10,000 years, he'll get to visit earth again. So I don't know if we've made it to 10,000 years yet or not. And then at the end that there's a new Eden, right? So as we're seeing that, that you know, beautiful forest and the dew that feeds everyone, it's an idea that shows up 
multiple places. They say it's a city that does not need the sun or the moon. And that really stood out to me as the wolf had eaten the sun and the moon. <laughs> they say that the city is the new bride. So this idea that yeah, we're not really talking about women, right? They're, they're talking about so when we say masculine and feminine energy, right? It's sort of like, are we saying the sky and the earth that one's masculine or one's feminine and that there's a tree of life, right? So as we're, we're in Christianity, but then this tree of life idea from, you know, paganism and heathenism shows up with, uh, with there being 12 fruits on the tree. And that now from there, where there was the mark of the beast on everyone's forehead, now the name of God will be on everybody's forehead. And, and they say, that's basically, you know, that it's coming. You're, wait, you're waiting, but here it's, it's coming any day now. So it, it also kind of ends on a little bit like that unsatisfying ending like this one. They're like, and that's, and that's the future. And you know, that's, that's all we know about the future. So <laughs> good luck. Sean, how do no, you take that? Some of those odd images. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's really insane. And, and nobody talks about, well, and that's the idea, right? Whether has, has it already happened or it's not happened yet. So, right. So when you think about like conventional Christian theology where they're like, I don't think there's a part where, you know, Jesus died on the cross and he's resurrected, but then he dies again, but then he's born from a woman again, came out of the woods and then he's got an iron scepter. And it's like, I don't, I don't think that's conventional Christianity just because it's like, it's a prophecy for the future. So no one's claiming it's happened yet, I guess, but I really do need to read a book that uh, explains the book of revelations to me. So I'm not just making it up yeah, on my own. And but, I'm going to be reading it. Like that's, that, I, I I need to, like, once this comes in, it, it, Amazon Prime, yeah. it's coming in two days. Yeah. So I'll be able to read Revelations and give my own interpretation of it and just be like, wow, this is insane. Yeah. But and maybe there's like... What were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, like, I guess Revelations was probably written in, like, what, the two to three hundreds? Like, That's a good question, but yeah, I think certainly yeah. later. So it was probably, built, it was probably like, written before Snorri's time. So, like... Oh, yeah, by, he, by quite a bit, yeah. But yeah. then also that... I'm trying to think if it was somewhere in the year... 800. It wasn't too long before the year 1000. I mean, it was you know, certainly a couple hundred years or a few hundred years, but when they actually collected the Bible together and said, okay, now this is the Bible. Cause before that they had all these different books. I mean, they had the old Testament, but that is the, uh, you know, by the year 200, 300, they were, they had a lot of texts that they were arguing and debating. So it was written by people who were really inspired. You know, they were, they were Christians of, of the time. That, that the book of Ragnar of uh, the book of Revelations on the Ragnarok, book of Revelations really reminds me of a, a lot of the uh, the Gnostic Gospels. So these were ones that were rejected by the Church, but they like those controversial ideas I said, like that there's a a blind God and that Christ brings the light to see how the blind God was deceiving you, and that the the snake was actually trying to do something good for you, and things like that. There are all these books that were written by Christians, and that there was it was an open debate of. Can you believe this or not believe this? You know, somewhere in the yeah. year 100 or 200. And then people started getting very rigid and they started saying, no, it's only what we believe. And you're wrong and you can't have that. But um, the, Gnostics, the Gnostics were convinced that the Catholics were the heretics. You know, they were the ones who didn't understand Christ and that the Gnostics went into their dreams and they found Christ and he told them things. And they're like, well, that's what my dream told me. So, you know, I can read this book that somebody I don't know wrote or I can believe what Christ told me in my dream. And yeah, that's a that's a weird way to look at things. That's not a modern way to look at things, right? Yeah. Um, when I so, like, I think like I know like the Bible like that we have today, like the one I just ordered off Amazon is uh like very much edited, um, yeah. and like there's like pick, picking and choosing like which parts to include in it, and like I think there is in like this. I'm not the one to speak to this. Maybe this is what you are speaking to. Like I think the Roman Emperor uh, Constantine, who was the first Christian emperor, like I yeah. think he held this council that kind of like said what is dogma and what's not. So like that, but that's interesting. It's like, there's also people that think that he was also a pagan at first that just converted yeah. like after the fact. So if that was the case, like how much of old, like the old pagan religions kind of like were translated into the Bible anyway. Yeah. And that, that idea, right. That things will go to extremes and then they'll kind of curve back, right. There was all this strict dogma strict. It's gotta be what the church says it is. Right. And then there was the Protestant reformation and it took hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. But then where people were like, let's not just believe what this person tells me. Let me go read the Bible for myself and see what all this is about. Right. And at that time they didn't have the Gnostic gospels anymore, but I'd be very curious, you know, if the, at the Protestant reformation, it was easy to go down to your bookstore and find a, the Gnostic gospels would they have decided, well, maybe we actually interpret and, you know, incorporate some of these things. And I think to some extent over a few hundred years, they kind of recreated some of that stuff only to find, you know, pretty much in the, um, I think it was 1800s that all these books had already been written 
and they were hidden in some uh, clay pots in Egypt. And then they discovered them. And it's a thing that people sort of sorted out themselves because it's where the unconscious psyche goes is you know, the Jungian interpretation of that. Right. Yeah. Why people sort of come back and find these ideas that um, actually the, uh, a thing that I didn't really get the reference until I read the book of revelations, that there was some kind of era where the, the Protestants would call uh, the Pope, the Scarlet whore. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, that is a funny thing to call a Pope. What the hell does that mean? But that they were saying that he was the whore of Babylon, that, that Rome had gotten too powerful and it had become corrupted and evil and it didn't realize how evil it was. Um, but that the Pope wearing his, his dress and sometimes is a, his robe that looks kind of like a dress and sometimes it has red. Um, that's a very, I want to offend everybody today just to make sure everybody's clear. <laughs> that's why we don't do this in person. <laughs> Not too many people find us on Twitter. So thankfully. Yeah. Anyways, John, there's my there's my offensive things to say for the day. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I... Anything where it ties back into uh, this book of Ragnarok. I mean, clearly that both ends with that like Garden of Eden kind of feeling paradise. Uh, I like that. Well, let's hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope we get back there. And, and uh, but it, it might take a few hundred years. So that's the uh, that's my yeah. My well, today. <laughs> and like oh god, I don't want to get it. Like I think we should end this episode because I don't want to get too far into this. But like. Um, I was just listening to this three-part series on Unexplained, the podcast, which is very good. Richard McLean Smith, this guy does it. And uh, he did a three-part series on Slenderman. I'm not sure if you've heard of Slenderman. Just vaguely, yeah. It's read into it. It's it's like a wild thing, but it's he talks about how like the internet, like when it was created, like he talks about the first email, but then he goes into like what happened with Slenderman, which he says is like the first, potentially the first like bit of like folk, internet folklore. And like yeah. he then gets into part three about like talks about the future of the internet and like how like yeah. the world is changing. And so like I'm wondering if there's like some connection that can be made to say like, well, let's say we get to a point where human consciousness is living in this like internet where we can create our version of heaven, like, you know, or like our version of the Garden of Eden. And so it's like a very like interesting thing to think about. And I'm actually more scared of that future than excited about it because like it's some it's like the unknown and so like that's kind of yeah good the way i actually take it is that you need to leave some room for the darkness you need some place at least for the stories of it because it goes back right we're trying to just create our own heaven and everything's good that maybe you'll actually just create your own hell in that virtual future right because you need to have both you need to have a place that has a little bit of that you know opposites to balance each other or it will create itself it'll it'll come out spontaneously from the psyche just like slender man yeah yeah anyway that's that's an interesting thought that i think like is going to be something i'm going to be wake i'm going to wake up at 3 a.m one morning and just be like i wonder what's yeah i'm just going to go into like a spiral but anyway david i thought this was a pretty good episode um i think uh next um i know we wanted to kind of like review all the story arcs and then like talk about how these uh, of different gods and how like they died or didn't die at ragnarok so I think that's what we're going to do. But I kind of think that we should do a short, maybe like on the last two chapters of Gilfoganine and just like the idea yeah. of Gangleri, who's having this like conversation with the Holy Trio in the first place. So like maybe we can like go into the first like couple chapters of Gilfoganine and like the last. But that's something yeah. that if we don't do it this week, maybe we can do it like at a future date. Um, I think anyway, that's my thought. Because I think, you know, not everybody's going to go back and listen to every single episode of our podcast and that hopefully we're getting a little better at this as we go along that to uh, now yeah take thor and here's a quick summary of thor's story arc right here's odin's story arc especially as we see it because it is you know the the prosetta and poetic edda you can they did a pretty good job making it a coherent story but actually i love sean's way of finding out here these things need to go in order they need to make sense and they never quite can but sean gets very close and i like his uh Thanks, David. Story arc of the yeah, the hero's journey of each of the gods. I haven't given up on like the Zelda timeline theory and how I'm going to do the same thing for Norse mythology. But anyway, it, it, thank it'll you, be like uh, with any good any any good series where there's a uh, you know this one uh, this one loop that doesn't fit in with the rest of the story arc, and it's just and that's the weird one. That, that's the weird one they did when they were uh, trying to. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah. like with Norse mythology, Kavasir, he's not he's clearly supposed to be dead, but anyway. That's all I had, David. Did you have anything else, sir? No, that sounds good, Sean. You have a great rest of your day. And, uh, yeah, enjoy you your Sunday. Yeah. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. 
See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.